That's the testimony found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. In verse number 6 and also in verse number 7, the angel says, He is not here, He is risen. We think about history and the great quotations down through the ages. We think about three-word phrases. Were you to Google that, you would find that there is literally hundreds and probably thousands of phrases that, that has stuck in our mind as a result of that some short little phrase made up of only three words. We think about General Sherman saying, war is hell. Those of you that have been there would certainly agree with that statement. We think about MacArthur whenever he said, I shall return. And of course, being Texans, we say what? Remember the Alamo. Well, that list goes on and on and on. But nothing ever uttered from the lips of man can compare with those three short words by the angel on that day. He is risen. Remember, this came at a time when it seemed that all was lost. These followers of the Lord Jesus Christ were heartbroken. They were fearful. They were depressed. And not only are they grieving over the terrible injustice of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're also greatly troubled as a result of what they're going to do now that He is, now that He has died. They're thinking about how are we going to survive without Him, the one that we've depended upon day and night now for these three and a half years, and now He is gone. When everything seemed utterly hopeless, they heard those three words, He is risen. Not only are they in pain, but they are perplexed because nothing Nothing seemed to make any sense to them. They had invested all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ just as He commanded them to do. And no doubt, being just humans like you and I, they, they were thinking about the gain to be received as a result of the dedication shown. And certainly, as the songwriter said, it pays to serve Jesus while that's true. It does not relieve us of the suffering and the sorrow and the difficulties in this life. And some of them fail to understand that. Some of them believe that He is going to set up His kingdom right now. They had been suffering under the iron heel of the Roman government, and it was the hope of every Jew that the day would come that Messiah would reign, and they thought that this is the time. And now that He has been put to death, all of their dreams have been dashed to pieces. And so it's upon that gloomy scene, pain and perplexity, that the angel says He is risen. And those words not only brought great delight, those words made a difference. 
As you read the account given in the Word of God, you'll notice that all of the disciples were totally changed, transformed after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of of Easter tells us that nothing is beyond the Lord's control. It reminds us that He who created heaven and earth continues to control all of the events thereof and that there's never a problem that's bigger than He can solve. There's never a need that is greater than what He can meet. There's never an enemy that is more powerful than He is. In all of this, we see in the resurrection of the Son of God. We think about our past, we think about our present, we think about our prospect and understand that that all three are based upon Christ and our relationship with Him. We rest in His redemption. We rejoice in His resurrection. We rely upon His return because, as Paul said, that is our blessed hope. If all we have to look forward to is life on this earth, and then we die and go back to the dust, it would all be so very meaningless. But we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. We have a hope because of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, that He'll come back again just like He promised. And as we look at our text here and think about what this means to us, we think about what it meant to them. There was calm courage. Notice he says in verse number 5, Fear not. Now remember, these are the same men that our Lord had instructed earlier when he said that you'll be hated and despised. He said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. He told them that they, they would be persecuted, that they would be killed. And here we find the message, fear not. We can have calm courage as we face the difficulties of life because we serve a risen Savior. Whatever situation you're going through is not something that God can't get you through. So there is that calm courage that comes from it. But not only that, there is cause to celebrate. He is risen. That's why we assemble here this morning to celebrate that glorious fact. There's also compelling concern, he says in verse 7, go quickly and tell. In other words, share the news with others that Christ is not here. He is risen indeed just as He said. And that gives us a consoling confidence. They said in verse 7, there ye shall see Him. I understand that had reference to a geographical location But it's just as true of you and I who know the Lord is our Savior because of His resurrection. There will be a revelation and someday we're going to see Him as He really is. We could spend the rest of the day talking about all of these things that I just mentioned. But this morning I want to narrow your focus down to just one thing. I I don't want you to get lost in the details that you miss the the main thing. We could talk about the what and the why 
and the when and the where of what we're celebrating, but I want you to focus on whom we celebrate this morning. I want you to see, as the song says, it's all about Jesus. And what some people seem to forget, or maybe they never knew, true worship is a lifestyle. And if you do a study of the word worship itself, it implies something more than just an event that we attend, something more than what we just experience as a result of a Christian service. Worship is a lifestyle. That's exactly what Paul had in mind when he said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And in those words, we see that our lifestyle is to be a lifestyle of worship, of dedication, of surrender unto the Lord. Because of that, we can't relieve ourselves of our responsibility to worship God by having an annual celebration of His resurrection. It requires a relationship on our part. If my lifestyle is going to be a lifestyle of worship, the kind of lifestyle that pleases God, I have to have a relationship with God. You know, we can celebrate Easter like any other historical holidays and We can sing all of the songs and we can be moved emotionally as a result of all of that. But until a person knows Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's all meaningless. Until you become a Christian, none of it really matters. It's all formalism. It's all ritual. It's all emotion. There's no relationship in that, but it's out of our relationship with God that we're able to indeed worship God in spirit and in truth. And the fact is this morning, you either do or you don't have a relationship with God. The fact that He is your Creator does not make Him your spiritual Father. You either do or you don't. There is no middle ground And without Christ, nothing else whatsoever matters. Nothing. And that ought to get our attention. That's why I'm not using any kind of a three points in a poem kind of outline this morning. I wanted you just to focus on that one fact, that it's all about Jesus and your relationship or lack thereof with Him. If I was talking about silver and gold and diamonds and pearls and the possibility of you gaining those things, no doubt you'd give me your undivided attention. I mean, if we thought for a moment that there's something that we could do that would make us wealthy, I'm sure our ears would perk up, you know, and we'd pay attention because... You know, that's something that concerns us. But let me tell you, there's nothing in all of this world that is so valuable, that is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. I'd love to stand here this morning and even talk about the perfections of Christ. 
In other words, look at all of His attributes and talk about His great love and His mercy and His grace and His faithfulness and His power and all of those things. And, and uh, well, we should think about those things. I'd like to talk about His miracles. To think about all of the miracles that He worked while He was here upon this earth. And that could occupy a lot of our time. I would enjoy talking about the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things such as the Beatitudes and things of that nature. And we can talk on and on about that. I certainly would like to preach this morning about all of the glories of heaven. What a wonderful subject that would be if we just spent the next 30 minutes talking about heaven. But listen... I could spend 30 minutes talking about any of those things and get people all excited and Christians would rejoice, but none of that would get you into heaven. You wouldn't be a bit better off when when you leave than you were when you came because there still would not be a relationship between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, and Satan would like nothing more than to distract your attention. And he'll use absolutely anything he can to do that. He doesn't want you to see your greatest need. And he's at work right now, mark it down, trying to distract your attention. Some of you say, well, I, you don't look good in yellow, and I sure don't like that yellow thing sticking in your pocket. Or I think you ought to comb your hair different. Or whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. And the fact of the matter is, he'll even use Bible study to distract us from the main thing. Many years ago... I was asked to come down to Baptist Bible College in the in the evening for a few weeks there and have the devotion for the men in the dorm and and in doing so I related to those men that you are now in the place of all places the easiest place to get backslidden you're in Bible college And every day you're sitting under the teaching of God's Word, and if you're not careful, you'll get so occupied in the study of the Bible that you will not focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, it wouldn't do us any good to debate all of the issues that revolves around Christ. We could talk about the day that Christ was crucified. We had sort of a mini-debate on Facebook this week. I guess you would call it that. Different people expressing their opinions. and I'd uh, commented about people calling uh, Friday Good Friday. And that... Especially those of you that call yourself Baptists shouldn't do that. Because Christ could not have been crucified on Friday any way you look at it. 
The Bible says he was three days and three nights at 72 hours in the grave. And I don't care how you try to explain it away with the new day starting at 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, the Jewish day and the first day of the week starting then. And you go back, it's got to be on Wednesday. Now, I probably already distracted you. I didn't aim to do that. But I'm trying to make a point. You see, we could debate that, or we could debate about a, a number of other things, things that relate to the most wonderful person that's ever walked on this earth, things that relate to our Redeemer. We can talk about all of those things all of the time and still miss the point that you've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Until you deal with that same issue that Jesus dealt with when Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jews, came to him by night and the Lord, instead of debating all of these issues, oh, Nicodemus came and he flattered him. We know you're a teacher sent from God. We, we know that. No man could do all of these wonderful works that you do unless God was with him. And instead of Jesus, you know, Commending him, Jesus just flatly turned the subject to what I'm talking about this morning. And he said, you must be born again. And that's the only thing this morning that I want to emphasize, that you must be born again. Because until you, listen, until you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no freedom of forgiveness. And make no mistake about it, you've got a horrible, terrible, sinful blot against you. You are in desperate need of the freedom that comes from being forgiven. And that comes only by the new birth. Not only that, there's no salvation from your sin. There is no grace for your guilt. There is no mercy for your misery those, there's no redemption from your ruin without being born again. There is no joy of justification. There is no peace of being pardoned. There's no hope of receiving any help. There's no breaking away from your bondage. There's no change in your character. There's no delight in death. And let me tell you, there's no home in heaven. There's no middle ground, no stopping place in between. It's heaven or hell. One of the two. And until a person has been born again, he has absolutely no hope of going to heaven when he dies. Ye must be. Notice the Lord is emphatic about this. He says, ye must be born again. Remember, he's talking to a religious man. Not just any religious man, but, but a Jew. Not just any Jew. This man's one of the head honchos. He's one that is looked up to with great admiration. One that others depended upon for advice, for counsel. And, and, and yet Jesus says to a man like that, Ye must be born again. And that same thing is true of each and every one of us. 
until you trust Christ as your Savior, you'll never be able to enjoy the things I just mentioned, the freedom of forgiveness and the deliverance from bondage and and so on and so forth. It makes all the difference in the world. Whenever Paul described those that are unsaved, he spoke about them as being dead in their trespasses and sin. He said they are without God and without hope in this world. That is to say, they live in bondage in a wicked world and there's no way to break away from it, no way to really get through it, no way to have any hope of heaven until they've been quickened, made alive by the Spirit of God, until they experience the new birth. And the only thing they have to look forward to when they die is the great white throne judgment of God. And that doesn't have anything to do with God weighing your good works against your bad works to determine whether you get in or not. It has nothing to do with that. The great white throne judgment that all of the unsaved people stand before is a time when they receive their final condemnation. The Bible says in that day every mouth will be stopped. That is, that there will be no one that will reply to the charges against them. There will be no one that will deny the blot on their record. No one that will accuse God of being unfair. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and the Lord of lords. They will acknowledge it then, but it will be eternally too late for those that left this world without having trusted Christ as their Savior. The Bible says that they will be tormented day and night. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't understand how a loving God could allow people to be tormented day and night. Well, that's because you don't understand anything about the holiness of God. And neither do I, nor does anyone else understand just how holy, how righteous God is. That's why God cannot allow anything that is impure or unclean to enter into His heaven. It would be defiled. Because God is righteous, He can't wink at sin and ignore it. Sin has to be paid for. And if you don't think God really loves you, you just simply need to go back to Calvary and look at the suffering Son of God there on the cross and think about the fact that He is hanging there bleeding and dying, not because He has committed sin, not because He has done anything wrong, but He's dying there for you. He's bearing our sins in His body. And if you think God is being unfair in that He allows people that are Christ-rejectors to go to a devil's hell, think about the fact that it was God Himself who brought so great a suffering upon His own Son. And He did it all out of love. Thank God there is a Redeemer. 
Thank God there is a way. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I hope this morning, with all of my heart, I want you to see Him as the Messiah. I want you to realize that He is the Redeemer. I want you to believe that He is faithful and true. I want you to trust Him as your Savior, obey Him as your Lord, serve Him as your Master, follow Him as your guide, worship Him because He is worthy. But it all depends on that one thing, and that is a relationship. And you either do or you don't. I'm not saying that I am better than you are because I have a relationship with Christ and you don't. I'm not saying that. I'm not any better than you are. The only thing that makes any difference between any of us is whether or not we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. There's no life without Him. It's not a matter of joining the church. It's not a matter of being baptized. It's not a matter of being a good neighbor. It's not a matter of being a generous person or having good morals. None of those things will save anybody. It's all a matter of whether or not that you will trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's it. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm not just asking you to do so. I'm begging you, don't leave this building until you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God. Now listen, I said I'm asking and I'm begging but I want you to understand God is commanding. The Bible says God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. If you're not saved, please understand that you're living every moment of every day in rebellion against the holy God because you are rejecting His own dear Son. And living in rebellion... But all of that can change today by simple childlike faith of believing with all of your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting Him and nothing else to save your soul. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And if you're here, maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, you know, I've never been to a Baptist church before. Or I don't understand exactly what you're talking about. I've got, you know, I, I, I want to go to heaven. I, you know, I don't want to be lost, but I, I, I just really don't know what to do. Would you come this morning and we're not going to embarrass anyone, but we'll take the Bible and just sit right here and open the Bible and, show you from God's Word how you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you'd go to be with the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. To be able to leave here today with that, with that heavy burden lifted off of your shoulders, oh, yes, to know whatever happens, you know, the best is yet to come because now I am a child of God. And if, if I die... 
It just means I'm going to go home. What a wonderful hope we have. And it's all because of those three words. He is risen. He is alive. He's not hanging on a cross somewhere. He's not buried in a grave someplace. He's risen. And at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us right now. And you better believe that His prayer is this that you'll be saved because the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will you come to Him this morning? Will you trust Him as your Lord and Savior? And listen, you're not going to get saved walking down the aisle. You're not going to get saved by taking my hand or praying a little prayer. By simple faith, you can be saved right where you are this morning by just calling out from your heart and trusting in Christ as your Savior. And God promised that He would save you. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a verse of invitation as we lift our voice in song this morning. And Christians, I want you to be praying. I don't want you to be thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon or tomorrow. I don't want you to be thinking about what you did yesterday I want you to be praying for those that are here in this service that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. Pray that some way or another that the hammer of God's Word will break through that hard wall of their heart and help them to see their need and that they'll trust Christ as their Savior. Father, we pray that As we sing this morning that you'll speak to hearts. May your spirit walk up and down the aisles of this church. May you grab a hold of the hearts of those that are lost and bring conviction to them and help them to see their need of the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be saved today. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Now as we sing, would you...